The readings from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, to chapter 11, verse 3. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Great, thanks, Abby. And good morning, everybody. If you don't know who I am, uh, well, as Ben mentioned, I'm Ken. I'm the minister here at St. Joseph's. And I want to start this morning by launching straight into a fairly blunt question. Uh, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Here it is. Have you ever felt like giving up as a Christian? You may uh, just still be looking into the Christian faith, either here in the building or uh, watching uh, at home. Hello to you. Um, or you might just be a brand new shiny Christian, and so you haven't really had anything that's um, kind of tested your faith yet. And so this question might seem fairly irrelevant to you, but one day it might. Because for those of us uh, longer in the tooth who've been Christians for quite some time, we know only too well that there are certain experiences we go through, through or, or things that we see happen which cause us to question our faith and maybe even doubt it. And for many of us, that time is now. I think not so much because we have questions about God's goodness and his greatness, but we have this feeling of discomfort about being a Christian in a society that no longer sees that as a good thing. So whether it's the difficulty of navigating Office Pride Day or professional bodies requiring us to sign off on certain sets of beliefs that reflect the new moral norms of this century or simply the increasing number of awkward conversations that we have on a staff night out or a family barbecue, it's clearly much less acceptable and much more difficult to be a Christian today than it was, say, 20 years ago. But as we start this new preaching series in Hebrews 11, I want us to see that what we're facing culturally is nothing new. And actually, it's nowhere near as bad as it was for the first readers of this letter. We heard that in our reading there that Abby gave us, didn't we? As in Hebrews 10, verse 32, the writer says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We can see this, this letter was written to Christians absolutely being put through the ringer, wasn't it? Just like many of our Christian brothers and sisters in far-flung places across the world today, that will be the case for them. They'd lost, they, they lose public acceptance and good reputation because they're a Christian. Some had lost their freedoms. Some had lost their possessions and even their, their livelihoods. Some would go on to lose their lives. And while we ex- what we experience is nothing quite as bad as it was for those Hebrew Christians, there's still a cost for us to follow Jesus, isn't there? Not just in terms of living in a culture that is becoming more and more anti-Christian, but it might be the cost of serious commitment to church. Or the cost of remaining single out of obedience to the Lord Jesus because we know that it would be inappropriate for us to marry someone who wasn't a Christian. Or it could, well, just be the cost of being the only member of our family who's a Christian. That's tough. If you're in that situation, you'll know that's tough. And when the cost feels high enough, we can be tempted to, to step back and self-censor our faith, never saying anything, or shrink back, as the writer of the Hebrews puts it. Which is why he goes on to say, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then in Hebrews 11, as we're going to see in this series, he goes on to give one long encouragement from the example of Old Testament believers to keep on living by faith in God and his promises. And the first handful of verses we're going to look at this morning, we find the writer saying that it is worth doing that because, firstly, Christian faith has confidence that what God has promised for the future will happen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I wonder what you're hoping for for the future this morning. I don't know what that is. I'm not a mind reader. Uh, but whatever it is, when we use the word hope, we're usually talking about something that has a, a rather large degree of uncertainty, don't we? Uh, like if we're hoping for an Indian, Indian summer. Um, uh, as I think most of us um, probably uh, are looking forward to or hoping that there might be. Or if we say, I hope Newcastle win the league this year so that um, uh, for those who are Newcastle fans, we can stop putting up grainy photos like that from when they last won the league. Or we might say, I hope my children start tidying up their bedroom. Uh, Our hopes, all of those hopes, whatever it might be for you, they're uncertain, aren't we? Because we have no control over the weather or millionaire footballers or even, sadly, over the orderliness of our offspring. But when the New Testament uses the word hope, it means looking forward to something happening with absolute certainty because God has promised it. And since he's in control, he can deliver on his promises, can't he? And so we can trust him that he always will. 
God is the only one who keeps his promises perfectly. He is the great promise keeper. And so the writer to the Hebrews reminds us that by putting our faith in him, we will find assurance of things hoped for. Faith holds on to the promises of God, grabs onto the promises of God, even though we don't fully experience them, them, them uh, uh, in the present or, or, or experience them at all in the present. We grab on to the promises of God, knowing that because it is God who promises, then they are as good as fulfilled. And so we can absolutely rely on them. Let me give you a little example of what this kind of faith looks like. Come with me as we visit my children's bedroom a few uh, years ago when they were much younger, after lights out, as I'm just, just checking to see if they've, um, they've fallen asleep. And we go into one bedroom. I've, 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 I'm keeping this anonymous uh, because my kids are starting to get to that age where it's just slightly embarrassing to be dad's visual aid. But I have asked for permission to use this, but we'll try and keep it anonymous. Uh, so we go into one bedroom, and said child, well, unsaid child, is sitting up in bed and um, not in the land of Nod, looking kind of worried. And so I say, what's wrong? And they say, all of my friends got scooters for their birthday this year, and I'm worried I'm not going to get a scooter for my birthday. And so what do I do? Loving father that I am, my heart goes out to them. I try and reassure them, and I say, you will surely get a scooter for your birthday this year. And I'm not just blagging it this time. <laughs> I know, mum and dad have already ordered it, so it is on the way in a couple of weeks' time. And so I say, you will get a scooter for your birthday this year. And then I say, rest easy, go to sleep. And step out the room. But come with me again as we re-enter the room two minutes later just to see how things are going and what's, what's happening in the room. What can we hear? I'm not going to go on like that. <laughs> They're fast asleep. They're fa- Why? Why is my child now doing that? Because she knows... Sorry, they know. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> because they know that because their loving father has promised them the scooter, it is as good as theirs already. <laughs> and folks, that's what the author is saying about how we experience the reality of faith. Faith is not some... Blind leap in the dark. Faith is holding on to the promises of God in the Bible. Knowing that they are as good as fulfilled for one simple reason. Because it is God who has promised it to us. And he loves us way better than I or you will ever love our children. So when he promises us that the risen Jesus will come back. And if we put our hand in in his and we trust him then he will take us to be with him in the new creation where there will be no more crying, uh, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death, no trouble of any kind. And we can be sure of that future hope, not only because Jesus rose from the dead in order to show that there is life beyond death, but because God has promised it. And so when the cost of following Jesus gets too high or seems too high to us, that is where we are called to look to, the promises of God. 
so that we will see that it is worth keeping going because every single one of those costs will be way more than compensated for by what the Lord has assured us of what is coming our way in the new creation. So we can, reassure, we can be reassured that any loss of reputation, any loss of faith, face that we might uh, come across as we stand for Christ in a world that stands against him. Though not a small thing, it is bearable because God has promised us that one day we'll be crowned in glory and we will reign with Christ. And that cost I mentioned earlier of being single out of obedience to the Lord. Also not something that is insignificant if you're going through that at the moment. But it is bearable because Jesus tells us that in heaven there will be no more marriage. We'll all be single. And yet the quality of our relationships will not take a dip. In fact, they will take an upward turn. As the relationships there will be better than even the very best of all earthly friendships and marriages here and now. And perhaps God's future promises are most reassuring to those of us who are currently still grieving a loved one or are going through long-term illness or disability or perhaps for those who are so currently actually facing up to our own mortality ourselves that one day we and they whoever it is we might be thinking about will leap and dance and Sing for joy with a brand new body in a brand new world that is perfectly ruled over by Christ. Do you see, we're not to flounder around in the dark, whatever it might be that we're going through, that the Lord's leading us through, saying, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do. No, we are are to search the scriptures, to dig into them, looking for the promises of God, and we are to find them and hold on to them, store them in our memory banks so that we can call them to mind in the heat of the battle and stand firm. Because these promises are applicable to every situation that we face in life. That's how God keeps us stable, how he anchors us by faith. Faith has complete confidence that what God has promised for the future will happen. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Christian faith has confidence in the unseen spiritual realities of God. As the writer then adds something more in verse one that fills out the picture a bit. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but it's also the conviction of things not seen. Uh, that's one of the things that we find hard about being a Christian, isn't it? That we, that we can't see God. That we can't see the future. We can't go visit heaven like we would a house that we were looking to buy and make our home. And that we can't even see the fruit of our service of Christ, of, of what good it is going to do to continue stepping out and speaking the gospel to people and standing for Christ at the school gate or wherever it might be, or even serving here in church. What good is that doing? We wonder, because we can't see the end products. 
But the writer to the Hebrews wants to say, yes, you can. (laughs) He wants to show us that we can not only see the future now because it's made present to us by faith, but that also by faith, God enables us to see the invisible spiritual realities all around us. He's going to keep underlining this for us, folks, so we need to hear this. He's going to keep underlining it all the way through Hebrews 11 as he, as he gives us these examples of Old Testament characters who live by faith. And he'll show us that they all live trusting God to do what they could not see with the natural eye. So next week, let me give you a little taste of trailer, a trailer or, or maybe it's a spoiler. <laughs> We're going to see Noah who trusted God for things that were, verse 7, as yet unseen. And that's why people laughed at him, didn't they? (laughs) You silly old man, what are you doing building a boat (laughs) into your back garden when there is absolutely no sign of any flooding whatsoever? And the same is true of Abraham. God called him to a place he'd never seen. And he obeyed, getting up and going, taking his whole household with just the naked promise of God to cling on to. And in verse 8, it tells us he was not knowing where he was going. And Moses too, he gave up all of the lavish comfort and privilege and sophistication of his upbringing in Egypt and, (laughs) and flipped things around for himself and went up against the tyrannical, powerful king of that nation. Verse 27 tells us he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Why? Why did they do such things? Because God's promises are absolutely reliable, more reliable than what we can see with our own eyes. All our lives we've been convinced, haven't we, that this material world is the really substantial world, this world we live in. It's the real world, isn't it? That's, that's kind of how we talk about it. <laughs> but then when we talk or think about heaven, we, we, we think, think in abstract, kind of really kind of airy-fairy ways of, uh, sort, of um, sort of disembodied souls floating around like in some never-never land, like Peter Pan. <laughs> like it's all just a fantasy. But this world is a temporary world. And by faith, Noah saw that. And so he put all that time and money and energy and work into building the ark to show everyone around him that there was a judgment that they needed saving from. And that's also why we are called not to shrink back, but to plow as much time and money and energy and and work into the building up of this church to show that we believe in the unseen things of God and that there is a day of judgment coming and therefore everyone around us needs to be saved. And if we still struggle to trust God for what we're doing as a church or individuals or where we're going, for things not yet seen, then listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says next. Thirdly and finally, he says, if God created this world, he can keep his promise to do it again. Or more specifically, he puts it like this in Hebrews 11 verse three. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Why do we Christians believe, contrary to the prevailing skepticism of our culture, that God created the universe out of nothing, even though we went there to see it? Because whether the universe came about by a big bang and whatever evolutionary process scientists now um, are discovering or not, we know, we all know, that nothing exists in this, well, nothing exists at all without a first cause, which logically suggests something or someone had to pull the trigger to fire the universe into being. And then we read Genesis chapter 1, which proclaims, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And Psalm 33 verse 6, which reminds us, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And then we come here, Hebrews 11 verse 3, and we read, by faith we understand. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God. You see, we Christians, we don't believe all this because we like believing six impossible things before breakfast, as the white queen in Alice of Wonderland used to uh, love to do. I mean, sometimes we, we, we kind of speak like we do believe like that, like, like we say uh, of people, like, oh, I wish I had their faith. You know, they've got such great faith. She's got such great faith. When actually really what we mean is they've got great imagination. And I don't. But faith is not the ability to imagine things. Faith is gazing in wonder at what God has already done. And then it is also the resting on of my soul on the promises of what God will do. And so essentially the writer here is showing his weary Hebrew readers that if they can believe that God created the universe out of nothing by his word in the past, they can also trust his gospel promise of a new creation for his recreated people one day in the future. For we actually live in the evidence of the power of God's word. A world that didn't exist until he spoke it into existence. And if God has promised to resurrect us into a new creation, we can believe him because we know he's done it before, hasn't he? And every amazing new TV documentary that we might see on our screens like Blue Planet or Frozen Planet or... Uh, our planet serves only to remind us of the power of God to keep his gospel promise of a new creation in heaven. And so, how can we shrink back from loyalty to Christ knowing that? Especially when we see that every night sky and every rumble of thunder and flash of lightning reminds us of his, promise, uh, his, of his power 
to keep his promises to us. God's word has promised us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, even though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer in all kinds of trials. And we can trust that promise, even if everybody in our office or our school or our family tells us that it is absolute nonsense. Because by faith, in God's word, we know what he can do. So you too can be confident. Assured of what you hope for. Confident in God's power to keep his promises of a new creation. And convinced, convicted of what you do not see. Confident in God's loving provision even though you can't see it yet. Because you live in an amazing universe that proves the power of God's word. So let's celebrate the power of his word and give thanks for it um, and pray that through just now. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for the power of your word and the reliability of your promises. We pray that they may be anchors for our souls. You know our hearts, Father. You know this morning where we are tempted to drift away or shrink back from following Jesus. And so we pray, please bring us back to faith in your word. And help us to trust your promises even when it's costly. And we ask, Father, as we do that, like little children, may we rest in the assurance that everything you have promised to give us and do for us, you surely will. And this we pray in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. We're going to finish our time together by singing again. Uh, a song that reminds us of loads of the promises that are ours um, in the Lord Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>